podcast has bad words. <laughs> Hello, patrons. Hello, simpletons. Oh, yeah, that's right. We're calling <laughs> them simpletons now. <laughs> that's great. We figured, you know, like uh, uh, Beyonce has the beehive. Yeah. <laughs> what is what are What are Andrew Schultz's called? Assholes. Yeah. Andrew Schultz got the assholes. We got the simpletons. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, so we have Jeanette McCurdy here. She's a, a writer, an actress, a director, a musician, and, and uh, a talented woman. Yeah. And we're talking about fame today. We're talking about toxic fame. We're talking about, well, we're talking about a lot of stuff here. Uh, mm. Celebrity. Uh, I thought before we dive into our surprise questions today... We could talk about this article. We do this little segment called More About Less, where we just read something. Instead of reading this today, I, well, I can read some excerpts here, but Jeanette, you wrote this article. We'll put a link to it in the show notes. But it's called Former Nickelodeon Star Jeanette McCurdy Opens Up About Her Eating Disorder. Mm. And since we have you here, instead of me reading all dozen or so pages of this, which was really well written so Thanks. bravo for that but also it was written in a way that it was it was a bit of a gut punch and um i didn't know this about you until until i read this obviously but i think that's the whole point of it is probably most people didn't know this about you and not just you but most people who uh, suffer from disordered eating uh, my wife uh, worked at a university as a dietitian for about a, dec a decade mm. and uh, worked with a lot of young men and women, but mostly young women yeah. who had various types of, of eating disorders. What what made you, wh what made this the right time to, to write about this? Honestly, I was at a, a place in my recovery where I felt very compelled to talk publicly about it and to try and be honest about my experience in the hopes that the people who are struggling would maybe connect with it and find some hope or inspiration in it. Um, I had also, when I was struggling, I'd never, I didn't see anything out there that uh, spoke about eating disorders with some humor. I felt like it was really important to try and ha try and have some humor so that the topic was a bit more approachable because I feel like eating disorders tend to be a thing or disordered eating tends to be a thing that is talked about with a lot of reverence and it can be made very precious and I think that almost makes it so people don't want to talk about it, mm, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I thought, well, hopefully if I, if I put some humor in here, it'll be the type of thing that people will be like, okay, we can talk about this. We can, we can um, you know, have some conversations about it. Well, yeah, it was Kafka who said that life's mo most profound truths can be discussed only through jokes. <laughs> and uh, I, I tend to believe that. We have a chapter in a new book we're working on right now called Love People Use Things. And uh, the book is called Love People Use Things. The chapter is about truth. Mm. And it's one of the funniest things I've ever written. Mm. It, but it's also one of the darkest things I've ever written. Oh, I'm so excited to read it. And <laughs> it's, it's really about, a lot of it has to do with my mom who... Uh, Mr. Collins should have been a stand-up comedian. And, <laughs> and But, like, it was her way of dealing with yeah, disordered living, in mm -hmm. a way. It wasn't, you know, yes. eating disorder is a, is a part of a, a, maybe a broader thing, a sort of disordered living. And there's a part in this article where you're talking about um, it's Thanksgiving in Toronto, and you know, the only way I knew how to celebrate you know, or to acknowledge the pilgrims uh, uh, was to, you know, to lock myself in a bathroom stall and purge. And like mm. at, at the same time I was laughing, I also felt the, the twinge of sorrow. And I think that 
I think that's what you were trying to communicate there. Absolutely. I think that's that's definitely you kind of hit the nail on the head. Uh, that's the, the what I how I like to write um, anything, whether it's you know a short film or a, or the article or 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 anything longer form. Um, I try to talk about subjects that are that tend to be darker, but that are very important and personal to me. Um, but in a way that's humorous so that you it is kind of like the oh my eyes are kind of welled with tears but I'm also kind of laughing um I I just feel like that's a really a, a, a hopefully a good way to communicate with people and to actually tap into something that's that's very human because I think that's I mean I think that's universal we've all got the things that are really difficult for us and hopefully try and find some humor in them to yeah. cope you know totally makes me think of uh is it Andy Davis who's who has that song laugh so you don't cry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The first song on his first album is called "Laugh So You Don't Cry," yeah. and, and it's uh, it, it's about trying to console a friend, basically, who's yeah. going through a hard time, and talks about we're gonna I'm gonna come over and help you laugh so you don't cry. Mm. Yeah. Um, and I, I think there's a role for for both of those things. You obviously don't want to cover up the 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 sadness with. Yeah, with sheer yes. laughter. Yeah. But I think you, you can you can dive into both in a way. Sure. Well, I think that's a really important point. I feel like it's very it's very popular right now to do like dark comedy. Mm. But I, I worry sometimes that tonally um, it can come across tone deaf and kind of like it's not really uh, respecting the gravity of whatever material it's covering. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. It does. Um, like it's just sort of it's kind of broad and and. I think there's a huge difference between, you know, a, a teen comedy that has a joke about anorexia that everybody's like, ha ha, anorexia, and kind of making fun of the subject matter. Uh-huh. Uh, I think there's a huge difference from that than showing, you know, hopefully something that's a bit more honest about the thing while also showing the humor. Yeah, you yeah. weren't you weren't pointing and, and laughing at the subject matter. You were unpacking the subject matter with humor in in your article here. And I thought it was really powerful. How how old were you when when the disordered eating started? I was eleven. Yeah. My uh, mm-hmm. my mom actually had a history with uh, eating disorders. She had been hospitalized for anorexia a few times, and she had introduced me to anorexia. Um, because she thought it would uh, help me play younger roles for acting. Oh, right. Wow. She thought and, and if I stayed smaller, it would be effective. Wow. And so I remember there was and a, it was <laughs> right, which is it like worked. that's the other the other the other messed up part about it is you actually get some sort of rewards from the universe because of the disordered living, and the same is true mm-hmm. in other areas of of disordered living. Mm-hmm. If we are constantly lying to inflate ourselves it can help us out in the short term as right, well right but it it sort of kills us uh, literally figuratively metaphysically uh, in a way that is harder to quantify because mm-hmm. in, in with with the anorexia and then eventually eventually how old were you when the the bulimia started i was 21 wow yeah and and uh, but you this was also modeled for you by by your mom the anorexia part you, you talked about how Basically, for dinner, all you ever saw her eat were, was broccoli and and uh, cauliflower with a little bit of like garlic salt on it. Yeah, it was mm. just steamed vegetables. She wouldn't eat anything else for dinner. Uh, so yeah, I learned that's that's normal. That's what I saw mm. as normal. Mm. Yeah, and so it eventually manifested into bulimia, but then that that morphed into feeling like you were you weren't <laughs> you weren't a good enough bulimic yeah well because in in like eating disorder land you're never um 
you're never aiming for bulimia. Like the ideal, there's definitely a hierarchy to eating disorders. And you're like, you want to have anorexia if you have an eating disorder. If you have a bulimia, you basic. If you have bulimia, you basically failed at anorexia. Like mm. that's that's just what you know. You tried to. eat. You're an amateur anorexia. Yes, yes. You tried to not eat. You couldn't not eat. So then you ate, and then you throw up what you ate. Wow. You failed at anorexia. Yeah. You landed at bulimia. Is kind of how it goes. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And, yeah. And so. In dealing with that, you also then had not just having the sort of unjustified body images, but uh, body image issues. Yeah. But but uh, then you had this. Uh, uh, com- it's the opposite of competitive eating. It's competitive not eating yeah. in a way, <laughs> yeah. uh, where yeah. where you had uh, other. Uh, people who are in your age range yeah. where you'd show up at events and red carpets and other things and uh, there was sort of a hierarchy in a way right yeah well it's this very kind of unspoken rule i feel like in young hollywood of you know if if you're at a teen vogue party and they're passing around hors d'oeuvres and you you're in the middle of a conversation and you go to grab an hors d'oeuvre it's like you'll get the side eye from another person like oh my you're taking a crostini like this is insane <laughs> oh wow so then it's like oh god okay i gotta set that down like it's just this very you can just feel the pressure of it you can feel everybody kind of body monitoring food uh monitoring everybody else in the room it's wow. just it's just such a, a part of the business i think wow let's talk a bit about the the recovery process because it was not an overnight recovery no i thought it was i, I was like once i made the decision to recover i was like this is gonna be great i'm just gonna like well, finger start eating. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine <laughs> Um, what what I realized during recovery was that my eating disorder and my addiction to it had really been covering up all of the uh, uncomfortable feelings underneath it. So then once I was pushing for recovery, I was just confronted with all those feelings that I'd been bottling up mm. and suppressing and shoving down for so long. And that was so difficult. You know, mm. I'd been burying them for 13 years and I never imagined that not throwing up not that what how it relieved my anxiety so much that not throwing up would leave me in a in a fetal position on the floor sobbing like it was that emotional to me where it was like oh this was just covering up all this shit Mm -hmm. um and yeah it was difficult it was it was it was that that level of of emotional intensity you know the the fetal position sobbing for at least a year Mm. yeah you i saw on twitter you were starting a eating disorder podcast have you have you started doing that yet i've started doing i'm I'm in like the experimental phase i've done six episodes but uh i don't think it's good enough yet so i'm gonna do a bunch more before putting it out okay yeah will you let us know when when it comes out we'll make sure we we get it out there in the world we'll thank you we'll tell all the folks about it uh i would really encourage you to to read this article uh we can't do it justice in the short time we have here uh but i did find it to be really powerful the it's amazing what doors our parents inadvertently open up for us and in your mom's case it was probably out of sense of of love and caring in in some warped way where she felt like this was the best thing to do and and so at least in in her own thinking i'm assuming Mm -hmm. right yeah i have i have had such a a, i have such a complex relationship with her mom i think all of us do right Um, (laughs) right it's like it's just what it is um but i know the way when i sympathize with her most it's when i realized that she was just desperate for me to have a better life than she had that's Mm. really the bottom line she wanted me to be successful and well liked and what have you um her means of doing that was were you know desperate and detrimental to her parenting and my well-being but um but on some level, I know that it's just because she wanted me to do well. Mm. Let's talk about I'm glad my mom died. 
Um, that is my one woman show, and it's it's covering what a name. <laughs> yeah, I, I, holy! I mean, this is uh, when I saw the tweet from you on this. Uh, I mean, it was it was a gut punch because I. I actually have a different reason that I'm glad my mom died, um, mm-hmm. but but uh, uh, different, obviously different from you because it's so highly individual and personal. But like sure. for me, I, of course, I wish my mom was still alive. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, if it weren't for her dying, I don't think this whole minimalism thing would have happened. Like that was the wow. the inciting incident yes. yeah. for me yes. and for Ryan and for like she died. My marriage ended both in the same month. Right. And those two events forced me to look around and start to, to question everything in my life. Mm-hmm. And uh, eventually, within the next month, stumbled across this minimalism thing. Mm-hmm. And without that, so so in a way, I'm glad she died, even though I'm not glad she died. But I am right. glad that it was an inc- I had an inciting incident that, that moved me down the road. Is is does that resonate in terms of? Uh, I mean, obviously, I'm not asking you to give away the whole one woman show here. But <laughs> sure. let's talk a little bit about the show. Yeah, uh, it's a it's a darkly comic musical one woman show. It's just me on stage for an hour. <laughs> it's a lot of me, wow. um, but but no, I very much relate to what you're saying with in with my relationship with my mom. And um, I try and I try and get into the the nuance of it. I you know I I miss her often, but our relationship was um, was really damaging, mm-hmm. and I blamed her for a while. And I'm at a place now where I I don't. Um, blame her but I'm still working on forgiveness for some some of the shit that that I I experienced with her Um, but this show has actually been really helpful in in getting me to to process all that and also in finding shape and story in my life because I think it was just this kind of chaotic mess that I I didn't necessarily know how to process but putting it down on paper and getting finding the story in it was really useful for for me uh, personally and and my hope is that it's useful for other people who who might you know be struggling with either you know dead parents or alive ones and and hopefully it can help to um yeah maybe just find some find the story in their life is there any backlash with that title um my well one of my brothers actually mentioned he was like because i mentioned i don't read my instagram comments but he was like yeah, people are going crazy on Instagram or something about like how could you call a show this you know this title? And I'm sure one of the people saying that is my grandma because she has Instagram and she comments on everything. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I it's uh, yeah. I just think for for I I I wanted to title it that because I wanted to. I didn't want people to come see it if they were going to be sensitive to yeah. that oh, title. title you know what i mean it's so good yeah. and i think hopefully like there was a great uh, a louis ck comment from a while back where he said that he would tweet things that were to to shake off the dead leaves every so often mm. like he would say things like oh <laughs> if if you're just here because other people are here then i'll say this thing which will let leave you know you let you go and then i can just yeah. kind of be saying the things that i really want to be saying yeah i think we do that sometimes we'll, we'll start putting out louis ck tweets <laughs> 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 and then block genius. anyone who comments on it genius jess like That's so funny. jess probably blocks i don't know a dozen people a day or maybe more than that like yeah. we just call it a block party uh we got that from welcome to, yeah welcome to my block party yeah, got that from crystalia but yeah. like yeah it, it um and and 
but, but there is something that is almost fishing to 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 well to shake the the yeah. the leaves there yeah. um uh, to mix my metaphors. Yeah. Well, I think like when you put a title out like that, like you want, you also want people to like understand you in a more personal way, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like when I talk about in the documentary with the stuff uh, with my mom and like yeah. what happened with her and yeah. she's still alive. I have a whole book written right now of stories about my mom wow. that I'm probably not going to publish until she does die Yeah, yeah, yeah. out of respect for her. But there yeah. are certain things that I certainly will talk about. Uh, because I think it adds to the story. And that's when I talk about things um, about any of my, my mom or dad because I got mommy and daddy issues for yeah, days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so like, but, but I do that when I think it adds value to the story that I'm trying to tell or what I'm trying to communicate. So, right. so it's interesting though, like how writing, like r- just writing that book, which isn't published, uh, how therapeutic it is and how it does help me work through a lot of these emotions. And, you know, I've, I've got some backlash from, I mean, I remember a family member who, after they saw the documentary, they're like, I can't believe you talk about, you know, our family, our, our family history or something like that in your yeah. documentary. And I just, I just responded back to them. I'm like, I wish I could have looked at you guys at the time and been like, these are my stories. Yeah. Like what is happening right now? These are the stories that you're giving me. Uh, and when I'm an adult, like these are the stories that I'm going to tell. Yeah. And I wish I could have looked at you and said that at the time. But, you know, being in the seventh grade, I don't, you know, I don't think that clearly. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, unfortunately, those are the stories you gave me. And for, to, to try and silence me of those stories, mm. like that, now you're doing me a, a, a disjust, a, right. an, an injustice. Yeah, or a disjustice. So for you with the, even with your grandma, it's like, yeah, she might be upset at you, but there is, there's a level of like over, you know, over bashing your family, I, I guess. Yeah. But there's yeah. also a level of where like you have to do it for you. Right. And, you know, I think if you're doing, if you're shaking the dead leaves for the right reasons, like there's nothing wrong with that. The, the title yeah. is certainly titillating and it's supposed to be, but it's not overly gratuitous either. I, I, I don't imagine you spend an hour up there, uh, you know, singing about, I'm glad my mom is dead. Right. Sort of the, like <laughs> celebrating it. Like that's, that's not the point of it. It is, it is to get people in the door so that you can, um, I, I'm assuming, express a whole uh, spectrum of, of emotions, good and bad. I'm, I'm sure that... Absolutely. Uh, that, that, so, so in terms of, of what you're doing creatively right now, what, what, what do you feel like makes you most alive these days? Because you've done so much, whether it's music. Yeah. Um, you've, you've had several careers... As a, a <laughs> uh, as a very young person who's had several, you you know, you, you uh, TV, movies, uh, music, directing, writing, one woman musical plays, like like so. So, what makes you feel most alive right now? Um, writing and directing is definitely where I what I would like to be doing um, long term. It's it's what I have the most uh, passion for right now, um, and then. Subject matter wise is sort of what I was saying of like taking dark subject matter that's that's important to me and and showcasing it in a way that's that's humorous but also respectful to mm-hmm. what 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 the the gravity of the subject matter. Um, that's sort of the 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 through line to everything that I write. Um, there's all you know there's always some element of family dysfunction, always some element of of mental illness. Um, uh, those are, that's just what's most important to me. So whatever I do moving forward, it will definitely have like those kind of elements. I love it. Yeah, because I think like if you just talk about sad subject material, 
uh, I don't know how much good that does if you're right. just writing sad stories all the time. Right, yeah. right, right, right. You don't want to bring people down. You right. Know? <laughs> and then if you can inject a little humor, it just kind of helps. Well, like you said, it just helps us talk about the most difficult things. This yeah. article you wrote and the, and the work you're doing now, like I, it's really important. And like I'm really grateful you're doing it. Thanks. Especially yeah. because um, oh. when it comes to fame, people often do look at you know the person who's famous and they're like, oh, I, I want their life and... They've got it all, and it really kind of shows how you're really like anyone else with yeah. with your own problems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I think it's important for people to realize that because um, <laughs> what did Jay Z say? Uh, to be Bobby Brown, you ha- uh, to be Bobby Brown. Then you got to be Bobby Brown now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it's <laughs> it's the truth. Go. And, 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 and I think what happens is we want to recapture a snapshot. We want to be like, uh, well, it's it's the Instagramification of of america or of the world now in fact i just read this uh uh great article by uh gia tolentino are you familiar with her she's Mm -hmm. one of my favorite writers she wrote this in the new yorker put a link to this in the show notes sean it the article is called instagram face and she writes this article about how essentially women who are well teens up until you know uh, uh, menopause probably uh but especially very young women in their late teens, early 20s, are having plastic surgery at uh, stunning amounts yeah. and, and recreating what is the essentially the, the Instagram face. It's the sort of amalgamation of, or they're trying to be Kim Kardashian, Bella Hadith, and I don't know, Kylie Jenner, who, yeah, yeah, yeah. who looks exactly like Bella Hadith. Uh, <laughs> and and uh, that, that's from the article. That's what she says. Yeah. And, and so she goes around and, and writes about it but also writes about like, but I, I've been putting on makeup since I was six. Mm-hmm. How different is this in some ways? Mm-hmm. And uh, my wife and I were actually talking about in, in the car this morning. She, she drove me here to, to drop me off. And um, she was like, yeah, but the surgery is like so much. It, Beck doesn't wear any makeup. Um, rarely does. And um, but when when she does, I to me. I think the surgery is actually less invasive than wearing makeup every day. And she's mm. like, what are you talking about? Mm. And, and I'm like, well, for, for me personally, like if I, if I were in that situation, I would just want to get the surgery once mm-hmm. as opposed to having dealing to, with it every day. Yeah. Put yeah. the makeup <laughs> on for it. She's like, but, but the, the uh, surgery is so invasive. It changes the structure of your face. And I said, but the makeup changes the structure of your time. Mm. Mm. And, and so it's like comparing the two sort of things. I think they're both sort of potentially toxic. Yeah. But at the same time, in some, some cases, it's maybe not as uh, negative as we think it is, too. No. I, I don't know. I mean, women quite literally get makeup tattooed on themselves. Yeah. Like, I mean, my, yeah, like I, I know women who've got, uh, you, get, you can get eyeliner. Like black oh, yeah, eyeliner yeah. tattooed on your eyes, yeah. so it's like, but but that's but that's a very common thing. And if you're always sure. putting eyeliner on, and you yeah. can save yourself 15 minutes a day, right? Like, yeah, I don't see the harm in getting like. I mean, if you're tattooing your eyes, or if you're getting a tattoo on your shoulder, right? Doesn't right. really matter. No, I, mean, I, I, well, I think the problem is who are we trying? Who are we trying to do it for ourselves? Are we trying to do it for other people? Maybe there's another layer here right, too, right. and you can obviously speak to this much better than I can. Who are a lot of these, because men do it as well, for sure, mm-hmm. but it seems that, at least according to this article that I, that I was reading in The New Yorker, is mm-hmm. it's far it's, it's far and above women doing it, and it's a lot of women in their teens, mm-hmm. 
and 20s and it's to live up to some societal expectation but it's also to who are you trying to impress and it seems to me that they're often trying to impress women that they not just don't like but actively dislike (laughs) (laughs) and what i mean talk about disordered living talk about toxicity man like you're just doing things to make it's almost like they're doing things to make others jealous like i'm right like because i dislike you i i know what i can do to like make you jealous so this is what i mean that's like what a toxic road to go down wow have have you encountered any of that in in hollywood well i love that you're tapping on like you know women's jealousy because i do think that's something that we're we're kind of not allowed to talk about right now we have to just act like women are consistently 100 uh, percent supportive of one another um. which is just not reality <laughs> you go, um, queen. yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> yes bitch like no yeah. no bitch um i don't know i think like i don't think i have enough clarity on this to to speak to it fully but i can i guess i can speak to it honestly and for me um like so i am self-conscious about my eyes i'm like oh my eyes you can't see my eyes if i don't wear mascara Mm -hmm. so i always wear mascara and then at one point i was like you know what? i might as well just get eyelash extensions because Mm -hmm. then i don't have to wear mascara it'll be kind of an easier thing to deal with and then the eyelash extensions were like poking me in the eyeball and it was uncomfortable so i was like okay well i can't do that i'm gonna go back to mascara or mascara every day i never leave the house without it why why, why am I wearing mascara? I'm right. not even, I'm not like a conventionally hot person. So it doesn't even really make sense. I should be the kind of person who like leaves the house, no makeup, I feel like. But there's something in me that's like, no, you have to wear the mascara because otherwise blank. And I haven't yet filled in that blank. Mm. I'm trying to, I wish I could. Um, also, I don't think it makes sense with the things that I'm trying to do. I'm not trying to be Insta famous. I'm not trying, you know, to be a model or an actress. So it's like, why, why am I going for a thing that's a beauty standard? Mm-hmm. You know, I, 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 you know, would like to be known for my thoughts and, and you know, my, my work, not, not my face. So yeah. then, why am I spending this time on my face every day? I think we all want to. Um, be desired we just did this podcast which will actually be out the week after this one yeah. with with uh pete rollins who our f- favorite philosopher friend uh we did a great episode with him a while ago on love but we just did one about desire hmm. and we all i mean desire is really about wanting the desire of those we desire huh. mm. and, and um there, there's something about like yeah with my wife is, is, is a great example like there's nothing there's nothing that feels better in terms of of desire or lust or whatever if she wants me as opposed to like of course i want her but like i only want her because she wants me as well like if she didn't it would be i don't know it'd be it, it, this this strange dynamic that would that would actually like deflate the desire in a way yeah um there and, there is something in us though that like we do we do want to be desired and I, I i can't answer like why that is cuz like i want like i want to be attractive and i want people to be like you're attractive but like if women were th- constantly throwing themselves at me like i don't want that you know what i'm saying like it's like our friend colin right exactly but <laughs> colin does want that though i think no he doesn't <laughs> no, that, that's actually that's true yeah he, he probably doesn't he doesn't he like we have a really a uh, very attractive friend named colin right yeah who i think I mean, I think he probably understands how attractive he is. Yeah. But like, 
it like the three of us we started a business together a publishing company and it would be funny to be walking down the street uh with with him and ryan ryan is sort of conventionally attractive and then colin is a just supermodel a, yeah, attractive yeah. <laughs> but also like a, a a nerdy sci-fi but you can't tell by looking at him you're like yeah. is that jason momoa's brother yeah. um, <laughs> and and, and uh, but he never uses his superpowers for bad. No, he's which, really he's yeah, a good dude. He's a really, really yeah. good moral, ethical person. Yeah, and uh, which I think is a rarity. But I, I also think that like he, it's not he can't control it. It's not no. his fault that he's a beautiful man. Right, 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 just, right. He was born that way. Yeah, right. Yeah, and, and yet we still want to. There's something about us that wants to put our best foot forward but right. sometimes in right. putting our best foot forward we step over several lines uh that uh compromise maybe who we are as an individual yeah hmm. uh i don't think that mascara steps over that line no. but i think maybe facial reconstructive surgery does but mm. but also maybe there are cases where it totally makes sense i mean if you're in a car mm. crash to have facial reconstructive surgery does right. that make you any less of yourself by doing that yeah no, it's. Hmm. I don't know. I, I don't have any answers. Yeah, I don't either. More but, but it is interesting, yeah. like the whole mascara thing. It's yeah. like, yeah, why do you feel incomplete without it? Right. Yeah. Right. I also have this thing too where I fantasize. I'm like, well, it'd be easier if I was either more attractive or uglier. Because if I was uglier, then it wouldn't be like I'm on and in this line of like, well, she's kind of cute, I guess. And then like trying to be more attractive. Or if I was more attractive, it would just be like easy because then I could just leave the house and be like, no, I'm good to go. You know what I mean? You're like, you're in that in-between yes, spot. Yes, exactly. Uh, yeah. Can I either be hot or ugly? I don't like this like okay territory. Right. I think that's fair. But then you have millions of followers on social media who are like, if I could just look like Jeanette, I could leave the house yeah, without makeup that's on. that's true. Yeah. That is true. <laughs> that's so insane to think about. But, but you know, it's true. It, mm-hmm. and, and and so it's all perspectival in a way where where it really depends on, on who you are as a person where they're like, yeah, if I could, if I was like that, then my life would be perfect. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and so uh, just imagining that like, wow, there are some people who would pay gratuitous amounts of money to have my life also allows us to be maybe more grateful for the situation in which we've been thrust. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe it comes down to like how you view yourself or how I view myself. Cause yeah. like when I think about, uh, I don't know. Like it's the holidays. Like I, ser- I'm, dude, I ate so much delicious holiday food, <laughs> and I know I probably gained like five pounds. <laughs> and when I look in the mirror, like I and my work ever since I broke my back a year ago, like I have not got back into like the super healthy eating and super health or like exercising that I've been because I've been traveling and yeah. yada yada yada. There's a million excuses. I still do okay, but it's not where I was uh, previously to breaking my back. But the reason why I want to get there, it's not so I can walk down the street and I want to turn heads. It's so I want to feel good about myself. Mm-hmm. Like I want to be able to look in the mirror and be and and feel like oh yeah, like I'm gonna be a healthy 80 year old or I'm gonna be a healthy 40 year old because I want to live. You know, I want to live a healthful life. Um, so if you're doing it for yourself in, in that sense, like, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Hmm. Um, so like with the mascara, like, I think maybe you ask yourself, like, why do I want the mascara? It's not so other people notice you as much as like you want to feel good about yourself. Right, 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 right. right. But if you're doing things just to aggregate eyeballs, like that might be where it gets a bit in the toxic arena. 
What a good way to put it. Yeah. yeah. It, 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 or maybe it's aggregating the right people's eyeballs. Like for yeah. me, like yeah. I've been I've been lifting weights for like the last four months. And I can tell, man, you're getting buff. No one, well, no one knows, but I've been <laughs> I've been like jacked relative to my previous. Are self. you challenging me to a fight? <laughs> yes. <laughs> but like, you're not gonna see any pictures of me on Instagram with like my shirt off, uh, posing in the mirror. Mm -hmm. But I'll sure as hell send those to backs, mm -hmm. like because like it's desiring the desire of those you desire mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. and, and and so like maybe it has something to do with like what is the healthy desire versus what is the the toxic yeah desire yeah yeah what is living versus what is disordered living yeah mm -hmm. i think what we're really trying to say here is that josh's eyes would look great with mascara <laughs> <laughs> i couldn't agree more <laughs> kelly from facebook has a comment she says i cannot fathom the thought of following your passion or exploring your talents only to have to live under a judgmental microscope, uh, microscopic scrutiny every day. It's no wonder, no wonder so many celebrities are plagued by depression and anxiety and turn to escapes and addictions to relieve the pressure. Some will say they chose that life, but I disagree wholeheartedly. No one would choose to or deserves to be d dissected like that. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know that people choose to be dissected I, I agree with what <laughs> Kelly's saying here they are choosing this sort of nebulous idea of well I um, I've talked about this one other time I uh, Ryan and I love going to there's a Russian bathhouse called Voda Spa have you oh, ever I been there yeah. 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 yeah okay yeah. Place so awesome. uh, <laughs> we'll, I like to go there early mornings because no one is there yet especially like all the Russians and the Armenians have not like have not um, if you get there at nine o'clock you have the whole place to yourself right it's freaking awesome so one sunday morning i get there at at 9 a.m and i'm literally the only person there i think but then there's one other person in the the steam room or the the hot sauna um and so i i walk in there and i look over i'm like man that looks just like justin bieber that is definitely justin <laughs> bieber <laughs> And I can only, like, I just gave him, hey, what's up? And that was it. Like, I didn't want to you know, be, I didn't want to bother him because he might be the most famous person in the world or in the top 10 for sure. And I can't imagine what that level of inescapable uh, um, recognition, notoriety, et cetera, is. And I imagine it does lead to, I mean, Ryan, Ryan's in my life is not, dissected in that same way like weird creepy things have happened like mail showing up at my house and, mm. and 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 things like that but but for the most part it's not that i can walk down the street and be total i do i walk here i walk to the studio almost every single day yeah. and so like it's not a problem i don't know that one time sean white was hanging out his car window yelling at us that was pretty cool <laughs> really <laughs> yeah That's it was so, so cool. cool he's like hey guys what's up well, I ran into I ran into Sean White. I at, love Sean White. Uh, uh, well, I ran into Sean White. It was me and my daughter and 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 Bex. We were at uh, Tatsu Ramen, um, uh, Melrose and La Brea. It's like Ella's favorite place to eat. Mm. She loves Have you been ramen there? noodles. Mm -hmm. yeah, if you like ramen, like it is, I love it. it's, it's so good. Okay. And yeah. so I'm in waiting in line, and uh, this guy comes up and he's like, "Hey, man, I'm, I like your podcast." I'm like, "Oh, great, thanks. What's your name?" And he's like, "It's Sean." <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's cool. It's good he to totally meet you, man. snubbed Sean White. <laughs> and, Didn't even and, realize it. And Bex is like over there freaking out, like that's that's Sean White. Yeah. I'm like, who's Sean White? 
Right. Because Josh is not into like skating or yeah, snowboarding I, 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 I or anything. Yeah. I'm like, oh my God, Ryan would be freaking out right now. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah. And so, but I can walk down the street, but Justin Bieber could not walk to our studio. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No. Um, mm-hmm. And there have been plenty of times where you couldn't do that either. Right. And, and there is a level, I mentioned this earlier, where because someone actually asked this where, where, where what is the uh, the question here uh, about toxic here, well, let me just read the hold on let me oh, read jonathan's question sure. how do you define toxic is all fame toxic and wingo's question is at what point would you say fame becomes toxic well that's like saying at what point does sand, uh kernel of sand become a beach right mm-hmm. or 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 how much sugar is unhealthy mm. is you know, one grain of, of 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 sugar is not unhealthy it's un, it, we don't notice it right yeah. but what is the unhealthy level i don't know is, is, is i don't it, think there's an unhealthy level necessarily with fame i think it goes back to why you're chasing the fame no i, I do think there i, I think it's it, i think it's at some point it becomes unavoidably unhealthy like Re- justin so, bieber's level of fame is unhealthy for everyone mm-hmm. um uh okay I, I yeah I don't think I agree with that but because I mean going back to Oprah for example yeah, yeah, yeah. like I I'm she's not perfect yeah um but she has done a lot of good yeah and she might be more famous than Justin Bieber yeah um but I don't I don't think it's she has a toxic level of fame I think where things start to get mm. toxic maybe is like when it comes to famous people we put them on this pedestal and like we have to look at them like they're not normal humans so when they do things that are when they screw up like normal humans screw up, right. it's this big deal mm-hmm. because we have them on this pedestal. I think that it's toxic to put people on a pedestal. Mm-hmm. I think that I think that, that mm-hmm. is toxic because it just it, it creates a fantasy world that just doesn't exist, yeah. which creates uh, unrealistic expectations. Um, I, I think there's toxicity to that, but I don't think just by having however many followers or fans Bieber has or Oprah for that matter is toxic in itself. I guess expand on why that many, why that level of not even influence, but that level of um, notoriety. Yeah, notoriety or fan base. Mm-hmm. So why is Oprah's fame and Justin Bieber's fame toxic? I don't know. I don't think that it's necessarily toxic. I do think that it's necessarily unhealthy. If you can't walk down the street, <clears throat> oh, by certainly, yourself, yes. So that's that's what I'm saying. Now, yeah, is yeah. it necessarily toxic? I don't know. Was the level of, of fame that you had at a young age toxic? I think it was toxic and unsustainable. Um, I, I really like your point, Ryan, about, um, yeah, just I, I, I like what you said. Um, like just being, because I, I can only imagine, like, because yeah. even with a kid, you're put on a pedestal. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But the thing, the thing that felt most toxic to me was was the 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 lack of human connection that came from mm. um, the the. I mean, it was just hordes of people just screaming and tugging and I mean, physically pulling on oh body goodness. parts to to take pictures and stuff. And it just felt like this is like what's going on, right? We had that happen only once. We we were speaking in Brazil. Oh yeah. And we were a bulletproof <laughs> Land Rover. It was in Sao Paulo. Yeah. And like for whatever reason, like the the conference hired us to come down and speak. And so Ryan and I had for one moment experience. So, Bieber, so think about yeah. this, Ryan. This is what Justin Bieber goes through literally every day. This yeah. is what Jeanette was going through every day. I just people went to the vehicle. Josh is like trying to fend people off. <laughs> and like I, literally I they, they put it, us yeah. in a bulletproof yeah. uh, Land Rover with security. Not that they thought anyone was going to be shooting us, but that's their normal protocol, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. And people like wanting, you know, they, they literally like 
went around the Land Rover. Yeah, yeah. And it was just because we were speaking at this conference and there were like 15,000 people in the crowd. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and so just for that one moment. But imagine if you walk down Hollywood Boulevard now or mm. Sunset or La Brea or wherever oh, and dude. that happened if you went to Omaha Nebraska that happened to yeah. you mm. and, and and that's why I say maybe it's not necessarily toxic it probably is in most cases uh, and maybe there are some Mozarts of living who can figure it out right. Tony Robbins kind of people mm-hmm. um, but but I think it's unhealthy no matter what yeah like that level of, mm. of and <clears throat> Jeanette, you bring up a really good point. Like there is very little connection there as well because there necessarily can't be, right? Mm-hmm. Because they know so much more about you. Mm-hmm. If you get approached at a coffee shop, they already know so much about you mm-hmm. because I mean, the Wikipedia page of, for you already has more than you'll ever know about that mm-hmm. person. Mm-hmm. And so, or worse, they think they know a lot mm-hmm. about you, but they actually don't know you. Like <laughs> right. all they know is like the roles you play. Right, which, right. Yeah. And, right. and so there's this disparity about what they know or they think they know about you, and what you. And so for you to even catch up with them would require you know, several days worth of conversation. Mm. Or with someone who comes up to you, Ryan, and, and makes fun of you for carrying six lemons at once, um, they already they feel like you've been the voice in their head for many months or years right because you've yeah. been talking on a podcast mm-hmm. and so they know you in a way that you can't possibly know them so there's this uh, uh, disparity there and there's something toxic about that i believe um if if we believe that that we can um reciprocate in a way mm. because uh we can the best thing that we can do is say thanks and please pay it forward yeah mm. what <laughs> tell the story about how you were go- seeing a movie at the grove Oh God! That was like probably the worst case of, because like the 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 thing in Sao Paulo was flattering. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, we yeah, didn't sure. experience it every day. It was sure. like, oh my God! Like maybe we are famous. Yeah. <laughs> it was our fifteen seconds of fame. Right. <laughs> fifteen seconds of fame. Uh, yeah. yeah. So I was at the Grove this past. Um, so for those of you who don't live in LA, the Grove is a outdoor shopping mall. Essentially, is that a fair yeah. assessment? Yeah. Um, I had been there once before. Um, but I was going there to see a movie and I was by myself and I, I get, I walk out of the parking garage and I walk up to the little, uh, marquee that has a map of where, how to get there. And, uh, okay. Ryan said earlier, everything that we do is sort of blanketed by irony. Yes. Because people love to call us out on whatever they think they can call us out on. Why is the minimalist at a shopping mall? As soon as I walk out, walk down the stairs. Right. And it's like, Oh, I'm just here to see a movie. Do you know where the movie theater is? And the guy's like, yeah, let me, let me take you over there. And I'm like, Oh, okay. Oh man. And then along the way, this never happens with this much frequency. Six people by the end of it. It's like, I'm being noticed, and I'm the minimalist at a shopping mall. <laughs> I, and by the way, I'm okay with going to a shopping mall to buy something. Personally, I don't want to go to a mall just because it gives me anxiety. But right. if you want to go to a mall to buy something, Whatever. I don't care. Yeah. But I also realized, like, oh, shit, as one of the minimalists, I can't go to a shopping mall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I have no desire to be in a shopping mall, so it's okay with me. Well, mm-hmm. it, yeah, it, go- it goes back to, like, people putting us on a pedestal. In fact, mm-hmm. that's why I talk about all my shithead mistakes all the time <laughs> is because I don't want to be put on a pedestal because I'm not perfect. And if anything, like, I want our listeners uh, – well, you know what? Um, oh, man, what was the dude – what was our uh, road manager's name that was with us in – Shrimp. Shrimp. His name was Shrimp. His nickname was Shrimp. I forget his real name, but Shrimp. What was his real name? Do you remember? No. Simon. Thank yeah. you, Podcast Sean. So so Simon, he um 
we, we were in uh, Sydney. We were sitting down, having some of like the best oysters I've ever had in my life. It was, they were so good. Um, and he was like, man, it's crazy. Like we got, a few people noticed this on the way to the restaurant. He's like, it's crazy how many people like uh, they, they notice you. And he's like, the crowds that you guys are drawing, it's nuts. Like how many people are coming out to see you? Yeah. And I'm like, Simon, buddy. I'm like, they are coming out to see themselves. They're not coming to see us. Mm-hmm. They're coming to see themselves. And, and, and that is what I want to connect with people on. Like I want to show people like, hey, uh, I'm just like anyone else. I screw up just yeah. as much as anyone else. Yeah. And here's how I deal with those screw ups. And here's how I try to navigate through life. Um, but when you get put on that pedestal, you start to get called out for every little thing. And like that, that certainly is unhealthy and toxic. And mm-hmm. yeah, whether it's Justin Bieber or Oprah, that level of fame, it is it is going to be inherently unhealthy because people can't help but to place you on a pedestal and judge you for every little thing. Even going back to the paparazzi, why do paparazzi really follow you around? Mm. It's to pick up on the... Incongruities. Yeah, on the tragedies that happen in your life. Like, they're not there to be like, hey, look, Jeanette is shopping at Whole Foods. Like, they want to be like, oh, "Oh, look, look at this thing. Look at what Jeanette did. Like, that's really the goal. That's the paparazzi gold. Is the the sweater she was wearing right? Yeah. No, I mean, the paparazzi were never on me to the the capacity that they were when my mom was dying. It's like I I felt that they were waiting for me to have a breakdown so that they could turn that into another one of those breakdowns. And yeah. it's like, I mean, I, I couldn't believe it. It was, it was, um, yeah, it was very evident to me like what was happening and what was about to, to happen. Yeah. It's like the paparazzi are there to tear you down from a pedestal that you shouldn't even be on. Right, right, yeah. right, 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 yeah. right. Yeah. So we've never had to deal with paparazzi. Thank, Thank God. Goodness. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, uh, I think a lot of this has to do with expectations, right? What expectations of others, uh, and and I imagine that you've had some people who've had some fairly unrealistic expectations of you, whether it's paparazzi, whether it's family, whether it's fans, whether it's uh, just casual observers. Mm-hmm. Can you think of any any sort of strange expectations that other people have had of you? I mean, the first one that comes to mind is just my, my mom's expectations. I think that mm. she really lived um, vicariously through me. She had wanted to be an actress. And, and then, like I mentioned earlier, she definitely wanted me to have a better life than she had. So there were just really confusing motives, I think, um, behind what she was doing. But I think her expectations of me were so, I mean, so high, but helpful. Like, I don't think I would have... Uh, gotten good at acting at all if she hadn't had those expectations on me I don't think uh, if I hadn't felt the pressure of like oh I need to do this to help the family I don't think I would have you know focused the way that I did so in a way even though her expectations were, were were really unhealthy and kind of outlandish I think they were useful in a lot of ways um I do yeah. we got some surprise questions here from uh got a few voicemails if we have time but i'm going to dive into some of these written questions here ryan what about the post-it service as a as a question for us what's the role of storytelling in life now jeanette you've you've sort of transitioned into more storytelling i mean you're doing uh i'm glad my mom died as this one woman show but you're also writing and directing i mean i think humans have this amazing ability to convey emotion to convey information to convey well to communicate and express themselves and they often do it best through telling stories i mean the parts that that stand out to me from your huff post article are the the moments where you're actually telling a story 
And so it seems to me that storytelling is something that is uh, that is important for you right now. Very important for me. I think uh, I think people have a natural tendency toward storytelling, and I think storytelling is the best way to glean insights and lessons, and 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 the best way to to feel connection and to hopefully kind of live our lives better. Like when I think of the stories that have impacted me, the films, the characters. Um, that's what inspires me the most and, and gives me the most kind of motivation moving forward. I think stories are so important. Yeah, yeah. I really think I think that they're everything. I mean, even now we're working on this new book and, and parts of it are sort of helpful and, and quasi-prescriptive, but the way that you get people to really understand them viscerally is through telling a story mm -hmm. uh, because otherwise it becomes a calculus textbook there's no stories <laughs> in it and what do you remember from a calculus textbook well right. that it was a miserable experience having to try to deal with it right and and we we don't want that we don't just want we think we want a prescription but what we really want is to understand what's going on behind that prescription yeah i think storytelling it just helps people to learn uh I don't know, learn an important lesson without having to experience it themselves. Mm. And again, like that's why Josh and I do what we do. So people don't have to learn these lessons the hard way like like we did. And I'll tell you, like yeah. there's a lot of a lot of stories I've listened to and some things I've avoided from from being able to hear someone else's story in regards to whatever it might be. Um, but yeah, I think storytelling is an important way to to help people navigate through life and avoid those hard lessons sometimes. Ryan is an accidentally really good storyteller. He doesn't he doesn't always give himself all the credit, but like <laughs> all of our, our like our stories, like I'm. It's so funny when you say that. I'll start to tell a story and I'll think like I'm a good, and then I just just like I flub it all up <laughs> because I have this pressure of like I gotta be a good storyteller now. Anyway, um, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I'm just kidding. He's a terrible storyteller. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> Parang has a question for us. All right. Uh, do you think? with fame brings with it social responsibility. I mean, yes, that's what we were talking about a little bit earlier. Like, hopefully it brings with it social responsibility. Right, you have to bring it with the fame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and really what we talk about is, you know, I think part of living a meaningful life is contributing beyond yourself in a meaningful way. Of course, you need to, you need to put your oxygen mask on first before you can help others. And uh, sometimes what fame does is it actually prevents you from even taking care of yourself in a way yes mm. yeah and i think that's unfortunate because you're so focused on meeting other people's expectations the, the all the people around you have all of these these expectations and you can't even you know, self-care doesn't even become something you think about for a while right that was definitely what came came to mind for me too after hearing that is is that i think i think with fame, yeah, I think social responsibility is an aspect of fame, but I think unfortunately fame hits a lot of people before they are able to be responsible to themselves, and mm. it's impossible to be socially responsible if, if you're not responsible to yourself, speaking from personal experience. Yeah. And it's almost hard to like do that in reverse. Like You can go from personal responsibility yes. to fame, but to get the fame and then go to personal responsibility, like yes. yeah, that yes. seems difficult. I, it, I, I think about, remember uh, that uh, Joseph Coney thing, uh, Coney 2012. Oh my God! Yeah, this? that poor dude. Yeah, so so this guy, he had this really great um, idea. He wanted to make uh, someone. He wanted to make Joseph Coney famous. Joseph Coney is a warlord, I believe. Is he from Sudan, South Sudan? Uh, Sean, do you know? Uh, anyway, Joseph Coney is a, a, a terrible human terrible being. Dude, yeah. Um, uh, has committed mass gen genocides and, and responsible for many child soldiers and yeah, yeah. yeah. just an awful sort of uh, 
uh, militia leader who is effectively running a country. And so this guy, an American guy, he wanted to bring a lot of people's attention to that. Like, if we can make Joseph Coney famous, mm. then we could at least bring enough attention to, like, oh, this guy's doing really horrible things. Let's find a way to put pressure on the government or some somehow to to get him out of power right. so he can stop committing these atrocities. Mm-hmm. And so he came up with this, this uh, these bumper stickers that said Coney 2012 and, mm. and at least made people think, like, what is Coney 2012? And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, but along with that, the guy who, I'm even struggling to keep his name, this is, this, uh, this shows the ephemerality of fame as well. Sometimes yeah. the flash in a pan sort of thing. Yeah. So the guy who came with this campaign also became wildly famous and all of these outlets were interviewing him because he was doing something really great, something that was socially responsible. But he was unable to handle that level of fame himself and he had a mental breakdown. No he, kidding. Yeah, he ended mm. up, they, oh, <coughs> they found him masturbating in the middle of an intersection in San Diego. Wow. Like wow. total right. mental like, breakdown. Oh, yeah. Right? yeah. And... <laughs> And you realize, like, th- that is obviously, that's a, a parodic exaggeration of the, the, the sort of terminus of the toxicity of fame yeah. there, where all of a sudden you're like, you realize where well, where that can go. Yeah. I mean, he was getting a lot of good attention, but he was also getting a lot of bad attention. Right. Uh. And that is, again, quoting Jay-Z, <laughs> the more people... Uh, the more people that like you, they also want to crucify you. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I'm like totally paraphrasing that, yeah. but it's true. It's like the more the more fame you have, like the more haters you're going to have, and it right. could be certainly well, difficult I, to deal with. I, I've mentioned this before, but uh, the conservative radio talk show host Glenn Beck, uh, I think this was like in 2007. I think it was according to Time Magazine or one of these magazines that is becoming less and less relevant by the day, uh, but back then it was relatively relevant. Uh, they named him the seventh most influential man in America. Mm-hmm. And also, I think it was the fourth most hated man in America. <laughs> and so, like, in order to be that influential, you have to be, you're going to be hated by some people. Oh, yeah. And it becomes a, a sort of byproduct of that. Yeah. And even if you're doing something as seemingly anodyne as what ryan and i do it's like we're trying to help people live a meaningful life with less stuff it's like yeah whatever white privilege yeah it's like you're i had someone text me on the the phone number that we have uh and they're like don't you think that minimalism is just solving first world problems and my my response to that uh thanks to tk our friend tk another philosopher friend of ours who has helped me see better perspectives uh, his response to something like that is, okay, let's assume for a second that is true. I don't think it's true, but let's assume for a second it's true. Is there a problem with serving for, uh, solving first world problems? Yeah. Or should we just ignore them altogether? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, because, I, yeah, people all the time at our, not all the time, but a lot of times at our events, like they'll bring up, oh, well, you know, you're your topic of minimalism yeah it only solves first world problems it's only rich people problems hmm. it doesn't deal with poor people i don't believe that i think minimalism is living intentionally yeah and i don't care who you are like that living intention living an intentional life is always going to be the way to live in, in mm-hmm. my opinion so i don't agree with what they're saying but yeah i totally agree it's like but we're still solving problems <laughs> just because what, what you're trying to call out is our pro- our problem solving doesn't solve everyone's problems right like that is re- that's a really bad critique and, and you're not claiming <laughs> that it does solve everyone it, and it right. would be a good critique if you gr- good critique if you claim like 
hey, I have a solution to everyone's problem. Right, it's exactly. Minimalism. Right. No. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've never sort of pretended that. But I think, well, I, but I do think that everyone could benefit from living an intentional life. I mean, Without I, a doubt. And I mean, we, we get countless messages from but w- places like yeah. Kenya or the Philippines or any of these developing nations and you know, people in Afghanistan who are like, I'm struggling not because I own too much, but I desire to own too much. Yeah. And it's like, oh, well. And that's really what we speak towards. But, but you know, but the, I do think everyone, I think everyone could benefit from a living intentional, but maybe the topics and the stories that Josh and I share doesn't speak to every single person on the planet. Like, I'm okay with that. Like that's yeah, and by the way, if if you're if you are contented with uh, the sort of status quo, or if you don't have a problem with uh, consumption, mm-hmm. then maybe minimalism isn't that a, appealing or helpful for you. If yeah. if you already have a a very healthy relationship with with consumption and consumerism, and you don't feel you don't feel the tug of consumerism then yeah, minimalism probably isn't going to speak much to you, right? Mm-hmm. But a lot of us, we we struggle with needing to feel complete by buying you know, trinkets and, and, and these sort of status symbols and having the right things to impress the right people. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a way to help some of those people break the cycle, I think. Yeah. Uh, we have a, a, I think this is an important question here yeah. from April, and this one's for Jeanette specifically. How do you navigate around the predators in the business? So, I mean, as as a young woman, I'm I'm assuming there are you know, and we think of predators. All of a sudden, we go to Harvey Weinstein or whatever. But maybe that that's one end of the spectrum. But there are other sorts of you know, predators, or maybe even um, uh, uh, we could just call them predatory. Like even the contracts that you were in when you were 18 right. i mean i'm sure people were being predatory in the sense that like they're trying to take advantage of you for as long as they can yeah, or even sure. parasites in the business yeah. Sure. Uh, yeah my first thought was like restraining orders there's definitely been a fair oh, wow. <laughs> of, oh. of those types of situations oh, so sorry. but um yeah, it's pretty it's fairly easy you know <laughs> fairly straightforward yeah, yeah just yeah if i ever need help with the restraining order i'll uh... <laughs> you know what to call baby <laughs> <laughs> um and, but then, yeah, I think I think that's a good point about like the contracts and and what constitutes kind of a predatory nature to those and and thinking like let's just you know get her for all she's worth at this time um, she doesn't know what the contract means type of stuff. Mm. Um, I think I think good management is re- was was you know really helpful. I did I did feel like I was very protected by by the my managers and just in terms of like financial speaking. Um, the opposite can be true though. If you get the wrong manager, mm. oh yeah, they can be the predator. I'm I feel very very lucky about that but absolutely i think uh, yeah if you have the wrong management um and family can also be very predatory about like yeah that kind of stuff like you look at britney spears arc and like i know yes. yeah like that's kind of the the worst of it i feel like when it comes to managers and family managing your business yeah 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 it's so i think it's it, it's so challenging if you do come from a from a from a dysfunctional upbringing and you have kind of the pressures of family because you 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 know probably became famous when you didn't even maybe realize that you were being mistreated by them like mm. chances are so there's almost this this obligation or this sense of obligation to to meet your family's needs um i guess i don't know it was the question how how did i navigate or or well, how, how, navigate. yeah because i don't know yeah. if I Cause, cause there's predators myself. in the harvey weinstein sense yeah. there's predators in the the money sense yeah. um like how have you found ways to to kind of navigate through all the predators that Hollywood brings. I well, mean, me, they're out there for sure. Let me set it up sure. this way too. So when we first, when we did our first film, I finally learned that 
Oh. I learned the meaning <laughs> of the term Hollywood math. Yeah. Because we we had a really successful first film, yeah. Minimalism. Yeah. And we did a, a theatrical release, and it did really well for a documentary in theaters. Yeah. And m- for the amount of effort that we put into it, it essentially made no money in theaters, mm-hmm. even though it sold tens of thousands of tickets. Wow. Yeah. We, we made basically no money because mm-hmm. there were so many hands in the cookie jar, and it's like one of those things you sort of have to learn from, from the experience yeah. of it. And I'm grateful we did it. We'd never do it again. Yeah, yeah, I, I wouldn't <laughs> do it, it that yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, and, yeah. And, and sometimes you have to you have to learn that way, uh, but that is uh, that's one way to learn, right? Mm-hmm. Us being our own crash test dummies in a way. Mm-hmm. But guess what? The the CEO of Ford isn't strapping himself into a Taurus and then ra- ramming the car into a wall repeatedly. Right. Uh, there there are also ways to learn from other people's. Uh, mistakes and 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 realizing that like you don't have to be your own crash test dummy every single time. So are there any people maybe that you learned from as uh, on your on your ascent? Uh, people that I learned. From, I mean, honestly, the thing about like w- knowing um, the the breakdowns that, or seeing the breakdowns that people had had and wanting to kind of avoid that because of you know I think that does come from the, the kind of the pedophiles in the business and everybody kind of preying on the person like it makes sense why these why these former child stars have these breakdowns so maybe yeah, learning from uh, I hate even, hate even to, to pin it on their mistakes I don't I I, I don't think they deserve uh, all the blame no they're, um, they're, but they're mis uh, they're, they're misfortunes yes learning from their misfortunes yeah yeah and knowing like okay that's not where I, I want to go because then as I felt myself kind of making my own mistakes and getting closer to their what had happened to them, um, I was able to kind of redirect and I don't think I would have been able to do that if there weren't all these examples mm. of, of their situations. Yeah. That's all. It's almost like writing this article, like, it, it, like with that line of thinking, like you were like, I'm going to embrace like the problems that I have Yeah. and I'm going to like, yeah, instead of trying to hide, 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 hide. Yeah. Like these, a lot of child stars do when yeah. they have breakdowns, you kind of came out to the public. Yeah, that's uh, that's awesome. We got one more question here from Nisa. What is your advice to young people navigating a world where personal branding and fame is becoming less of a choice and more of an obligation? I reject the premise of the question. <laughs> uh, you're not a brand. You're a human being, mm-hmm. and you don't have to brand yourself. Um, you may be told by some other people that you do and that it is an obligation, but these are obligations that you're setting up for yourself most of the time. You talked about removing yeah. yourself from from social media for a while yeah. a- and sort of unbranding yourself in a way. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 scary to me how often I'll hear young people just be like, oh, this is off brand, you know, just mm. that, that's like a casual aside nowadays. Oh I feel like, um, uh, yeah, I think that's dangerous territory. I definitely think focusing on yourself and your own um, growth, figuring out your values, I think is really, really helpful. That was hugely helpful for me. Um, I didn't even realize that I didn't know what my values were until my therapist had you know, given me the assignment of figuring out what they are. Mm. Um, and I think the younger you, you figure that out, even though I'm sure they will change with time, uh, or at least some of them will, I think that's hugely helpful in just having a kind of focus and direction and, and, and reminding yourself that it's not about, you know, putting what your image is to the world. It's more important that you're living in alignment with those values. I think that's so much going to lead you so much closer to fulfillment than any anything else. 
This yeah. Is no, awful. that's that's great advice because like as a kid, I remember being a kid and I was looking towards my friends' values mm. and what they wanted. And as a kid, like no one ever said to me, Ryan, like you got to get clear on what you want, not what your friends want. Mm. Yeah. But like, no, that's beautiful advice for a kid to be like, you have to figure out what it is to you, forget about what your friends value forget about all the technology that they like in the video games. Like, yeah. but what do you actually value in your life? And then kind of expand from there. That's awesome advice. Thanks. And maybe say, saying, instead of saying, uh, this is off brand, <laughs> which is a, a crazy sentiment to even think about. Yeah. Maybe say this doesn't align with my values, mm. and and by by just that that subtle shift, it, it's a world of difference. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because if you're saying this doesn't align with my values, what you're really saying is my actions right now are not aligning with the person that I want to be. Yes, yes, and I can change that as opposed to this is off brand is this action doesn't align with the person I want to project a, a, upon the world. Mm -hmm. And that's not, that's really not very helpful. Mm -hmm. If you want to get clear on what your values are, we have a, a free values worksheet on our website. It's just go to the minimalists.com slash V the letter V there's an essay there called how to understand your values. And you can download the worksheet. Ryan and I think there are four different types of values that you have your sort of foundational values. It's like building a house. Foundational values, then you have your structural values, you have the the external values, surface values we call them. And then the the one that we often think are values, this is a fake value, it's called imaginary values. And so saying something is off brand, that's usually an imaginary yeah. value. Like we put so much value on these things that aren't our values at all they're really obstacles in the way they're like the fence around the house mm. that prevent us from from getting into the the house and and doing something meaningful uh Jeanette, i want to i want to thank you for being here today yeah. thank you guys so much for having me and I, thank I you really for all the work this. you do like it's Thanks. yeah it's really it's really meaningful and yeah it's it's an honor to have you on the show thank I, you. if we were to wow. send people uh to to check out what you're doing right now, what would the best place be for them to go? Uh, my website is JeanetteMcCurdy.com. My name, my first name is spelled J-E-N-N-E-T-T-E. -T -T -E, last name, M-C-C-U-R-D-Y. Cool. We'll put That's a link to that place. in the show notes as well. They can check out uh, everything you're working on. They can follow you on social media. You might not see their replies, but uh, <laughs> they, they can see what you've got going on over there. I think you're doing something meaningful, and I want to encourage you to, uh, to keep doing it. Thank you for sharing the story with us today. Thank yeah. you. Mm. All right, y'all. Love people. Use things. We'll see you next time. Thank you so much, patrons, for your support. The Minimalists. <laughs>